Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. So on this beautiful day of celebrating um, 1776, I, uh, I'm going to do something a little bit different. So this is going to be more of a history lesson than it is a Bible lesson. But, um, you know, the, the Bible and the Word of God and the church is woven throughout history. And so it's important to understand where you come from so you know where you can go, right? And when we know who we are in Christ... And when we know who we've been in Christ, it helps us to, to grab hold of a flame and continue to, to let that flame burn. And I think uh, for America, a lot of the American history has been skewed and also outright lied about. And so that's why I really wanted to preach this message, especially on this day. Um, rarely, I, I, I can't remember one time when July the 4th has fallen on a Sunday, um, in the last 15 years. So we've been doing this for 15 years. And um, so it's just such an honor to be able to bring the word of God on this special day, because uh, like John said, we so love and value um, the gift that God has given, not just those of us who are Americans and who, who live here, but he's given this nation to the entire earth as a beacon of hope and a beacon of light that they can have a hope that there is a place where people can be free and and not just um uh free not just free in a land where we can prosper but free in a land where we can be fully who God's created us to be and we can be free to worship yeah. and that's really the most important um you know America was born in 1776, and that's the date that we celebrate as its birth. But actually, America actually began in 1740. And it was at the birth of the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening. That's where God began to plant the seed of freedom in his people that they could begin to hope for something that had never been seen before. Don't you know that when God starts to move and when he wants to do something new, he actually begins to shake everything in order to give birth to that something. Because you can't put new wine in an old wineskin. Amen? So the Great Awakening began in 1740, while America was only 13 colonies. And I want to take you back there for a minute, because we've been doing this for over 200 years. So generationally, we understand the whole idea of freedom, and we have benefited from it tremendously for generations, right? So, but back then, you had these 13 colonies, and in these 13 colonies, these 13 colonies were made up of British citizens. You know, there were a lot of people that came from other nations, but they were under the authority of the crown of England. They were under the idea and generationally had grown up out of Europe. They had no thought about anything other than living under a monarchy. And that had been their reality for generations. And in fact, if you think about it, never before in the history of the earth has there ever been anything 
like America. Of self-governance. Where the people rule the government, not the government ruling the people. That has never existed before. No way could anybody come up with that idea because there was no history that you could point to where you could say, oh, let's do it this way. Today, the whole earth benefits from who America is because other nations look to America and say, oh, let's, let's fashion ourselves after that template. Let's fashion ourselves after that because look at how prosperous they are. Look at how wealthy America is. Those things didn't happen by accident. It came out of heaven, and it started through the first great awakening. The major leaders of the revival were George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. God broke in sovereignly with his spirit at a moment And the fire of God hit these people. And it said that, that, that in the congregation at that time, people were laying on the floor. And what does it say? John Wesley wrote this. People dropped on every side as thunder struck. As they fell to the ground, others with convulsions exceeding all description And many reported seeing visions. Some shook like a cloth in the wind. Others roared and screamed or fell down with involuntary laughter. Come on, man. It sounds like a party to me. What happens when heaven invades earth? It can look a little messy. But as it was then, so it is whenever the Holy Spirit shows up in power. And so God broke in to a religious structure that had been in the earth that had become stale and dry, all about the law and the outward piety, but not really about the inward spirit. And so it, it, he broke in, and, and what happened is mass salvations, healings, and deliverances. People began to speak with other languages It was a beautiful thing. The Great Awakening was actually the catalyst that gave birth to America. The American thought, the American identity, the idea of American, and the idea of self-government. It all started with God. We are a nation that have been born from God's hand. Do not let anyone tell you any different because it is a lie. And a lot of people have gone to try to change the history of how our origins and how we were founded. But I am telling you today that that is wrong. In the book, The Accidental Revolutionary, George Whitfield and the Creation of America, it says that Whitfield preached the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the creation of the new man or the new identity in Christ all throughout the British colonies. Before that time, that message had not met the ears of believers. 
Now, today we are like, well, what are you talking about? Can't they read the Bible? Well, they were being taught something that was different than the new creation in Christ. They were not being taught the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you that there are many churches today throughout the West that that is still not being taught. And so he, George Whitfield, he, he was a colorful character. This man was fearless. And the beautiful thing about him is that he had so much wisdom that he actually began his ministry and began traveling all throughout the 13 colonies after the breaking in of the Great Awakening and the Holy Spirit hitting America, which wasn't America yet fully, but he was in his 20s. So he, he rode on horseback, ouch, He preached nearly 20,000 times to 10 million people. He would preach Sunday service after Sunday service. They actually began preaching. He would, he, they would pray for an hour. He would preach for two hours. They would break for lunch. They would come back and he would preach for another two hours. Can I get an amen? (laughs) That's what I call revival right there. And, and the, the cool thing about his story is that, you know, back then, they didn't have, you know, smartphones and they, everybody in the, the community didn't get a text going, he's coming, you know? So it didn't, they would tell people like the day before or the day of, they would hear that he was coming into town or that he would be in their area. There were people that were so excited about it. They would be 12 miles away and 12 miles on a horseback is a long way. And they would only have two hours to get there. And there's a great story of a, of a husband and a wife who were farmers who heard through the grapevine that he was going to be coming. And so what they did is the husband and the wife got on the only horse that they had and they start riding, but the horse was getting tired. So the husband would get off the horse and just let the wife ride, but he would run by the horse. And they were like, we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it. And it reminds me so much of John the Baptist that when John the Baptist would show up, it says that everyone in all Jerusalem would go out to hear him even though he was out in the wilderness. And I'm telling you, beloved, that's the kind of fieriness, the anointing that was on this man. Because why? Not because God said, oh, hey, let's have a great service. No, because God was doing something in a land that he had and a nation that he had a purpose for. You today live in that land. Praise God. In addition to establishing an identity, an American identity through the preaching of this man, the new birth encouraged people to have a personal relationship with God, to pray without an official prayer book, even to converse with God. They were encouraged to dialogue, not with formality, but just have casual conversations like, hey, what do you think about this, God? And I mean, back then, you know, you had the the, um, formal old King James version with thou and thee, and, and that's true, but they were actually encouraged just to get real with God. Can you imagine that? Over 200 years ago? 
And it was the first time they ever heard that. They never thought, what are you talking? They're like so captivated by that. And that's the way it was with the first church. They were so captivated that they, as, as, as subjects of the king, could actually talk to God. Commoners began to see themselves as special, wealthy, unique, because God knew their name. And it changed, began to change the way that they saw themselves. And it began to change the way that they were ready to accept the fact that, wait a minute, what are you talking about this class structure? What are you talking about that we're common and they're not? And so what it did is it began to take the class structure and close the, 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 the differences between them because they were all the same in Christ. Isn't that exciting? Most of the religion in the colonies at the time that the Holy Spirit broke in were old school, religious, structured, formal type of situation about outward piety, about activities that were religious activities. And so what happened is you had George Whitfield as he began to preach and, um, uh, and he actually was, oh, he was a character. So, not only would he preach the truth of the new man and the new creation in Christ and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but he came hard against the pulpit of the day. And he began to call them out and said to many of them from where he was preaching that they were false prophets. He said they weren't even converted into the new man. He brought a phrase that had not been heard of before, and he said, they are preaching a false religion. Now, I can remember another guy that used to do that and used to call out the religious, the Pharisees, the ones who said, Jesus said to them outwardly, you know, you look good, but on the inside, you're ravenous wolves. Man, that's tough, isn't it? So you've got this guy, oh, George, you know, and you've got these people that are leaving the church structure in droves. They're coming into this new way. They're listening and hearing and they're leaning into it. And they're so hungry for it because there's so much about it that is truth. It's freedom. It's, it's, it's life. The presence of God is there. And then you've got this old structure that he's actually calling the pulpit out. He's calling them out and saying, you guys need to get saved. He's telling the priests, you need to get saved. You need to be converted. So you can imagine how they felt about him. So there became these two churches that uh, were actually setting up um, a, a belief system 
and fruit began to come out of these two separate churches. So the fundamental beliefs from the awakening set up logical templates, okay? Models of belief and behavior that would be applied to tough political issues of the revolutionary generation. All right, so these people, you have to understand, they've got a mindset, right? They've got a mindset. They've got a heart set. They have a spirit set. There are templates within them that have been programmed for generations. Whitfield promoted several templates that paved the way for the advancement of Republican thought. Now, I'm not talking about Republican and Democrat. I'm talking about the Republic. So a Republican thought in the colonies, these templates help the founders find logic to support their objections to the rising British oppression. So as the spirit began to move and George began to go to all of these colonies and preach the new man gospel and the spirit breaking out in all of these places, other people began to come along behind him and preach the same message. So you've got You've got a revival or you've got an awakening that's actually changing a whole nation. Now, I want to talk to you about revival because I love revival. I pray for revival. But Stacy Campbell, a good friend of mine, just recently told me, she said, I want you to look at revival in America over the last 20, 30 years. It breaks out. Everybody feels good. Everybody, you know, same kind of things. You know, we all get slain in the spirit. We all have an experience. It's amazing. We get healed. We're all prophesying to one another. But there's no real transformation. I, because the message hasn't changed. I think we need to do a couple of things. We need to get some George on. We need to get some Jesus on. And we need to start speaking the truth. But we need to start saying, let me tell you what. This is right. That's wrong. This is the truth. This isn't. Because the people of God seriously need, keep it simple, stupid. Got to tell them. And then you tell them again. And then you tell them again. And you're like, look, signs and wonders. This is right. This is not right. This is the gospel that Jesus died for. Not the outward appearance and not just a bunch of religion. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but it's time for us to get real. Because people are dying for the real thing. And religion will not get us there. The, the gospel of, of, of tolerance. Progressive Christianity. Hyper grace. Grace is right, not hyper grace. Grace is to help us overcome. Eventually, the new birth came to embody the pursuit of happiness, a Republican theme that would play an expanded role in the coming decades. A lot of what you hear today in our founding documents came from the very pulpits that were preaching at that time. You see, the founding fathers were sitting in those churches. They were sitting in the revival churches. They were hearing a new message that began to stir in them the new ideas 
that heaven invaded earth in 1740 because God had in his heart a nation that would give birth to missionaries that would go all over the earth, that would give birth to the nation of Israel once again. God knew the beauty of who America would become and that we would be a beacon in light of light for the whole world. Whitfield exhorts his audience not simply to believe something, but to be something. He said it's not just about what you believe intellectually, which was what they called the old light. The new light said it's not just having an intellectual understanding of who Christ is. Then the new light said it's about having a, a, a spiritual revelatory understanding about who Christ is, but who you are in Christ. He began to preach about union, that, that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, and that he's not this faraway God that judges every move that we make. He said, true conversion is an identity established process that changes the very core of the person from that day forward. The new birth was not metaphorical for Whitfield or his converts, but rather it brought family membership, the right to an inheritance. And so the identity of people, I mean, a lot of the 13 colonies in the beginning, they didn't even share commerce together. What they began to do is they began to see themselves now that you have the whole land being flooded with this new identity, the new creation in Christ. They began to see themselves as family that was opposite of their British citizenship. So now when Britain began to really put a thumb on them, what happened is they were like, wait a minute. We don't have to live this way. Because they became fearless and bold, which is what happens when you have Christ in you. You begin to have hope for things that are set before you, right? I mean, and, and you're like, whoa, I have a dream. I have a purpose. I have something. And so they begin to, to dream about that because of these words that were coming from the pulpit. Benjamin Franklin was one of Whitfield's admirers. And he was critical at first, but then he saw the fruit and the evidence of what was happening in Philadelphia. And he was like, you know, th these people that are under this doctrine, th it, they're actually changing. And he, and, and, and he said in his writings, Benjamin Franklin, he said, I walk through these areas now and I hear psalms being sung in the homes at night. Like there is a transformation, a, a true evidence of, of the change that's happened in these people. It's not just about following a bunch of rules. James Downey wrote this, it is Whitfield's view of the human plight and its remedy that will best show the thrust of the awakening as a as uh, formative in the American mind. There was no American identity when uh, the Great Awakening happening. There was no. They were just a bunch of separate people. And so these British subjects um, began to think of themselves now as, as a family in Christ. They began to think about what would America look like 
if we were truly free. They found their common bond as being new men in Christ. National identity was born out of the first great awakening. It stirred up individual liberty with personal responsibility. Think about that. Personal responsibility, which gave way to the, uh, the, the ideology of union with God, personal freedom, personal responsibility, rights, and personal ownership of land. These were, this was an explosive idea. The idea of being free as men and women, that we could decide our own future, that we could be masters of our own destiny in Christ, that we could partner with the Lord and our communities to see these things come to pass. And I want you to think about what that must have felt like for them, like a spark of hope. Wait a minute. But that hope, again, had never been seen before. And that hope was coming from heaven. They were getting this from God and thinking, what would it be like for us and for our families not to be ruled over, but to rule ourselves? By spreading the revival to all the colonies, Whitfield supplied the first uniquely American collective experience. But most importantly, the new birth implied that one was genuinely born into God's family. And think about that. You weren't separate in some denomination, but actually denominational walls fell down. They weren't like, oh, we're Baptists because you had, let me see, you had here... The Dutch Reformed, the Scottish Presbyterians, the French Huguenots, and the German Baptists. So they were all there, but all of a sudden, those identities began to come down, and they began to have a collective American experience. Nationality no longer mattered. What mattered was whether or not the new convert would remain in the old light church or join the new light churches. And so the new light churches began to arise, and the people in the land at that time began to pour their money out to build these new churches, to build these new experiences for people. And so just as it was in Acts where you began to have thousands and thousands of people, I want you to know that in that time, 20,000 people in one setting would come to hear him on horseback to get saved. And they're crying in the whole time. They're crying, grown men at that time. Those guys were rough. There were no tight jeans. And... There was overalls. These guys were pioneers. They rode on horseback in carriages. There, there was, you know, it was hard. 1740, man. The women were still in long dresses. I'm like, whoo. What's crazy to me is at that time, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but at that time you've got the 13 colonies. They didn't even know about California. <laughs> They didn't know about the Rockies. They didn't know about the Grand Canyon. They'd never heard of Texas. They didn't know about Louisiana. They didn't know about the Gulf Coast. Think about that. 
They had no idea what they were sitting on. They just knew, here we are, 13 colonies. There are a bunch of Indians here. And then there's corn. Okay, some of you got that. So you had the old lights and the new lights. The old lights preferred the strong top-down society led by the king and the lords with loyalty to the crown as symbolic of their devotion to the British Empire, while the new lights favored strong grassroots parliamentary self-rule. The spirit gives birth to the spirit. Freedom. The law gives birth to the law. Whitfield brought to America the concept that there was indeed such a thing as false religion, as I've said, that a person obtained citizenship in a true Christian community through the new birth. When Christ is born on the inside, he said this. This is what he preached. Number one, all people are born sinners. Number two, sin without salvation will send a person to hell. Number three, all people will be saved if they confess their sins to God, repent, and seek forgiveness and accept God's grace. Number four, all people can have a direct and emotional connection with God. And number five, religion shouldn't be formal and institutionalized, but rather casual and purposeful and personal. John Adams, so when all of this is going on, George Whitfield began to teach and preach to the founding fathers. President John Adams said this, the pulpits have thundered and the people, even to the lowest ranks, have become more attentive to their liberties more inquisitive about them and more determined to defend them than they have ever been known to be. It was actually the pastors that were the catalyst driving force behind the cause of liberty. Their bold and courageous preaching actually began to be seeds of the revolution. In fact, so much so that the British called them the black, the black-robed regiment. Interesting. Don't hear a whole lot of that today. Pastors inspired ideas and language of the Articles of Confederation, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. These documents were not created in a vacuum, but they were created and birthed out of the ideas of this great awakening, out of true Christianity, out of biblical Spirit-filled, fiery, revival Christianity. That's where the language came from. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They designed a document that separated powers so that the government could not rule over us or become too powerful. They created a government that was ruled by the people for the people, a representative Republican government. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. It had never been seen before until that time. 
John Witherspoon, a Presbyterian minister, was influenced by the Great Awakening, and he spoke to the issues to the cause of independence. He gave moral clarity, listen to me, he gave moral clarity to the tyrannical rule of Britain and the rise of patriots who would form America. His influence was paramount to the new nation. He would become a voice to the founding fathers, even helping to write some of these critical documents. And I am telling you, today, more than ever before, it is time for the pastors in the pulpit to arise and begin to influence once again people. So the language that we understand would be to take back America from the tyrannical rule that has now been begun to govern us in this nation. And I say that boldly and without apology. John Witherspoon was president of Princeton University. He personally taught moral philosophies, all of the universities in America, Harvard, Princeton, all of these universities began as Bible colleges. They were founded by these great men, and they have so lost their way. But I want you to know how important this is, and we have got to take our college campuses back. I can't even believe some of the things that my children had to read, and even Samuel, are having to read in college, what they're being spoon-fed and saying, I want you to write a paper on this, which is complete Marxism and communism viewpoint of, of America. Like, this is the way it should be, that the Black Panthers were right. Come on. An advocate of natural law within Christian and Republican cosmology, Witherspoon considered moral philosophy vital for ministers, lawyers, and those holding positions of government. So here's who he taught. From among his students came 37 judges, uh, three of which became uh, judges on the U.S. Supreme Court, 10 cabinet officers, 12 members of the Continental Congress, and 28 U.S. senators, and 49 United States congressmen. That's the kind of influence he had. Now, I don't know about you, but all in all, in in, in Storehouse, we've got about 250, 300 people here, okay, as members of Storehouse. So I would love to boast that there were 49 U.S. senators that came out of storehouse. I would love to boast that three uh, uh, U.S., uh, what do I want to say, Supreme Court justices came out of this church. Or even somebody who wants to serve on the school board. (laughs) Because the truth is they understood that Jesus doesn't stay in the four walls of a church. He should be taught in the universities. He should be taught in the schools. But we've gotten so scared of losing our jobs and not pressing up against the, this tyrannical rulership that they've, they've, they've pushed us into a corner saying you can only preach Christ in the place of the church. And even then, you can't preach to current issues of the day or you're going to lose your 501c3. 
Come on, man. It's time for us to start changing things, and the change will start with us. It's not going to start with them because they're real happy with the way things are going. And it's time for another American revolution. It's time for another great awakening. And I believe that there is a great awakening that has come, that is coming to this land. But I'm not going to wait for that. I don't think we have time. Look, if you're a mom, you need to get in front of that school board. And you need to tell them and remind them that they work for you. And then you need to fire them. If you're a teacher, you need to start pushing back on the teacher's union. That's a complete Marxist organization. If you are a whatever, whatever you do, it's time to start to start speaking the truth in love. To start saying, no, we got to get some people together in each one of these organizations and saying no to them. These people that are firing people because they're not getting the vaccinations, that, that are putting restrictions on you. I'm telling you, there are lawyers in America who will take that case all day long. There is a whole host of laws they are breaking. It is unconstitutional to force medical procedures on people, especially when they are not mandated, which they can't be. It's unconstitutional. The Great Awakening saved millions before an eight-year war which changed uh, and changed the pulpit. It gave birth to a new nation where the gospel could be preached all over the world. I praise God for these men who were so courageous. George Whitfield experienced uh, an assassination attempt. He was uh, branded a traitor by the churches that were there. He was shunned. He was accused falsely. It's not easy being a world changer. But in Christ, it's worth it. It's time for the church to start making history again. And so I want to encourage all of you, every single one of you, you can do this. If 12 men could change the whole world, what can 300 people do? Amen. All right, let's stand. Father, we thank you. Could I have some worship music? Father, we thank you for this beautiful land. I thank you, God, that you care about nations. And you said that at the end of the age, you would separate the sheep nations from the goat nations. And Father, we want to be a sheep nation. We want to be a nation that the sheep hear your voice. God, I thank you that you're turning the tide in America. That you are stirring your people up. And you're reminding us of who we are are where we came from we just honor you God in the way that you created this nation and the many blessings that we have because of it 
We have self-determination. We are the ones. And God, I ask you today that you would forgive us for letting that slip away. That we took it for granted and we got lazy. We let people with the wrong ideologies into our universities and into our school systems to teach and train and introduce things that don't even belong there, God. Things that are even evil. And I ask you, God, today that as we stand in the gap on behalf of all of America, would you forgive us? God, I ask you that you would give us a banner that we once again can call America back to God. Every single one of us is important in the cause of Christ in America to save a nation. That your name would once again echo in the halls of universities in the U.S. Congress and Senate. That, Father, our, our, our leaders once again would be ruled by us. God, I ask you to restore election integrity in America. That our voice would be heard once again. And God, I ask you to bring down every high place that comes against the name of Jesus and the cause of Christ in America. And I thank you, Father, for moving on every single one of us. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, now that you would go and begin to stir up in our hearts that fiery revelation that we are one with you and nothing, nothing, Nothing can stand in the way of the things that you have called us to accomplish in this life. Mark us today, God. Not just to be catalysts of change, God, but to bring heaven to the earth in America. Would you give us another great awakening? And we all ask you for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen.